marks. Get set. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Have you would agree it's just a tad hot here in paradise. It's supposed to be a cold wave today, all the way down to 87 degrees. Looking forward to winter. Yes. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus, especially the new Sea Island campus, which is having a preview service today and is firing off for real in about two weeks. Um, we're, we're excited. Kiowa and Seabrook and Johns Island. Uh, let, let's give them some love. Can we do that? Also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. I know uh, th that's how I've been watching for the last couple of weeks. In fact, I uh, watched uh, from China uh, a couple of weeks ago online because I couldn't sleep, much like I couldn't sleep last night uh, because I'm not sure which time zone I'm on. But that's all right. That's all right. It's good. It's good. Hey, um, how many of you really enjoy uh, waiting in long lines? Anybody? Like, you know, you're... You're addicted to Disney. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Most of us, we just don't like that. I was, uh, was coming home from China, and, and um, I was at uh, the end of a 36-hour flight that somehow happened on the same day that I left. You know, I don't know how that works. You leave on Friday, you get back here on Friday, but it's 36 hours. I don't know where that day went. So excited about being in the United States. If you've ever flown internationally, you come back, you know, it's great. But you have to go through immigration in order to get back in. And um, that's not as fun. In fact, in fact, as I'm coming home, tired, a little cranky, everybody is. We're excited to be home. And then we've got to get in these lines. You know, they've got these ropes where you walk this way and then you come this way. And then you go here and you see the same person you saw. Hey, how you doing? Good. <laughs> doing great. Hey, good to see you again. Yeah. And on and, and just these huge, huge long lines. And this particular one not only had those lines, but it had the unofficial line snaking clear through the terminal. And it's forever. And people are starting to complain and they're tired and they're saying stuff. And. I started to think stuff <laughs> and getting ready to say stuff. And, but I can see that it's not helping anybody. And then I kind of heard the Spirit of the Lord in my heart say, count it all joy. You're getting a message illustration for the weekend. This is what this is about. It's prep time, you know. And uh, about the time I started feeling okay about that, then one of the people that worked for immigration came and started hollering at us. Said, you... It's a long line, but you guys need to have your passport ready and your paperwork, you know, and paperwork's in the passport as if us getting it out of our pocket before we got it, and so, you know, it's our fault, whatever. So I round a corner, and I see what the real issue is, is that there are six, you know, booths that you ought to be able to go through, and only two of them are open. You know, maybe somebody called in sick. God bless America. You know, it's good to be here, but we're waiting, and... And the, the worst part is when you wait and it's not really your fault. You wait and you don't know why. You wait because somebody else has to do something before you can even step up and 
make progress. Maybe some of you are there right now. Some of you, um, you got your degree. In fact, you've invested a lot of money in it and you're waiting tables. And there's nothing wrong with waiting tables. I thank God for uh, wait staff. But maybe you're feeling like, you know, this wasn't my vision and and I'm educated for this and, and I'm waiting and I can't get a job. Or maybe for some of us, we're, you know, we're, we're waiting, we have a strong desire to start a family, but we're waiting for biology to kick in. Or, or maybe you've got a desire to be married and there's nothing on the horizon, or you sense a calling from God, but there's no opportunities. I'm glad you're here today. In fact, I'm glad everybody's here. Some of you may feel like, well, I don't know if this is going to hit me. If it doesn't hit you, it'll hit somebody that you know, or I don't even want to say this, but... You may not be in a waiting time right now, but you will be. That's just life. You go from one waiting line to another waiting line with gaps in between. So celebrate the gaps. But I want to talk to you. We're we're in a series that we're calling Ready, Set, Go. And it's kind of a a racing theme. And it's taken from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. And uh, we're talking about running the race that God has for us. I want to read it out loud. You can just kind of follow along hearing in the campuses, uh, it's on your outline sheet or maybe on the screens or if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Let me read it. It says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so I run with purpose in every step, and I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. So so that's the scripture. Let's kind of look at an overview and look look what we've learned uh, so far. First of all, uh, Paul says, God has a race for each of us. Everybody in this room, everybody that's listening to me online or in a campus, God has a race, an individual race for all of us. And Josh told us, but Josh, I don't even recognize Josh. He lost 20 pounds. What's up with that? Okay. Yeah, don't get excited. But Josh, Josh told us that, that, that God's got a race and we need to stay in our lane. Stay in our lane. Run the race that God has. Don't worry about the race God has for somebody else. Don't compare yourself to somebody. Stay in your lane. God's got a race for all of us, and Paul says that. And the second thing he says is that the goal is to run well. The goal is to run to win. He says there's purpose in every step. We're not running for a participation ribbon. Oh, we're glad you're here. Everybody gets a ribbon. Well, that's wonderful. But that's not the race we're running. We're running to win, to win a prize. It's, a, it's an eternal prize. And by the way, it's not salvation. He's not talking about salvation here. Salvation is a free gift from God. It's by, by grace, not by works. But he said when you be, become a believer, he said then you, you have a race that God has for you. You run the race and there's prizes, eternal prizes that are being given out. We run to win. And then he says toward the end, that it's possible that you could start well, but you could lose by disqualification. Don't be, don't take a DQ, he says. Now, last week, 
Josh talked about getting ready. On your mark. On your mark. Get ready. There's training necessary actually before the race. And this week what I want to do, and we've got some starting blocks here. And I'm not going to get in them because I don't think I could get up. Okay? <laughs> but, but I'm going to talk about the process when you're in the blocks and, and in a race, the starter says, on your mark, so you get there, get set, and they always get up, you know, and you can see that, that every muscle is just tense and it's quivering and it's ready for the, for the gun. And so what I want to talk to you about this week is what do you do when you're waiting for the starter? What do you do between the get set and the go? Nobody likes waiting, but it's part of the process. So let me give you three things, three ideas. Number one is you get set in faith. You get it set in faith. Actually, there's two ways to wait. Two options while you're waiting on your next season, the next that God has for you. You can wait in faith, which we're going to talk about a little bit, or you can wait in anxiety. You can wait in worry. Anybody familiar with that? You can wait in tenseness. You can wait upset. You can wait in anxiety or you can wait in faith. I love the Bible characters because they're very real. And a Bible character I want to look at for this particular idea is Abraham as an example of waiting in faith. You remember the story of Abraham? God has a next for Abraham. Abraham's 75 years old. He's had a good life. He's done well in life. But God says, I've got a next. In fact, what you'll be remembered for hasn't even happened yet. Hasn't even happened yet. And let me just say this to you. I don't care how old or how young that you are right now. I believe that God has a next for you. Do you guys remember, uh, do you remember when, uh, some of you were here, I did a series a couple of years ago called Why Aren't You Dead Yet? Anybody remember that one? The idea was if you have a pulse, take a pulse real quick. If you have a pulse, God's got a next for you. And in your, in your next is probably going to be your most significant season, and it, chances are that what you will be remembered for, what will be on your, your gravestone. I, <laughs> I was flying from China this, this week, and it's a long flight, and I, have, I ran out of things to think about. So, so I thought about my tombstone. What do I want in my tombstone? It's kind of, I, I just did. You know, I just, what do I want in my tombstone? I came up with this. At least he tried. <laughs> At least he tried, you know. But, but the thing that they remember you for at your service probably hasn't even happened yet. And that's the case with Abraham. He's got, he's got a next. And God says, okay, here's the deal. I, you and Sarah praying for kids. You've given a lot up a long time ago. I'm going to give you a child. Not just one child. I'm going I'm I'm to make you the father of many nations. I want you to look up and see the stars in the sky. See them, count them, name them. That's what your kids are going to be. You can't do it. And, and hey, by the way, during the daytime, all you'll see is sand. Why don't you try to name all the sand that you walk on? Because that's how numerous your children are going to be. And Abraham gets excited about it, you know. Sarah gets excited. Takes her a little while, but she gets excited and she goes down to CBS and she buys pregnancy kits, <laughs> test kits, you know. And the first week is exciting, boy, it's 75 years old. I got life, you know. And then a month later, it's okay. And a year later, and five years later, 10 years later, they make a mistake. But 25 years later, God shows up to him again. 
He says, Abraham, I see your faith, and it's going to happen. And it does. Now, but here's what's interesting about the story. We all know the story. Just kind of review. But in Romans chapter 4, it talks about that story maybe 800 to 1,000 years later. And, uh, and, and it has kind of God's perspective on what happened. And let's, let's look at it. Let me read it. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, this is how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Here's what faith does. Faith doesn't just believe it can happen. Faith expects that it will happen. Did you get that? Faith doesn't just believe it could. Faith expects that it will. So let me, let's make this personal. What has God promised you? What has he promised you that you're waiting on and it hasn't happened yet? Maybe it's a wayward child that's going to come back to to him and you've claimed the promise, you train up a child and, or th there's another promise and you feel like God's spoken to you and it hasn't happened and in fact it's looking worse than it did three weeks ago or a year ago. Can I challenge you? Even when there's no reason to hope, keep hoping. That's what Abraham did. Or maybe God has promised you that he'll meet a financial need and you've been, you've been budgeting you know, trying to get that whole thing going. And you've been honoring God with the tithe, with the first part of your income because it says that he'll bless, but you haven't experienced that yet. Can I say that even when there's no reason to hope, keep hoping. Or maybe it's a job and, and, and you're believing that God's gonna provide it and, and it, it seems that he's promised. Can I say this, that in your waiting time, even when there's no reason to hope, Keep hoping it's better than anxiety. Or maybe he's promised he'll make you successful in ministry. Even when there's no reason to hope, keep hoping. Or maybe he's promised that he'll break a stronghold in your life or in your business. Might be a physical stronghold. Might be a financial stronghold. It might be a, a habit. It might be anything. And God's promised it and you've claimed it. But you can't see it. Even when there's no hope, I challenge you to keep hoping. See, faith doesn't believe, just believe it can. Faith expects that it will happen. We can't gauge how long that time between the ready, set, and the go is. Sometimes it's a long time. Usually it's a long time. In our, in the way we look at it, sometimes it's quicker than that. I, I hesitate to share this story, but I want to uh, because because it illustrates how God can work. Sometimes it doesn't take that long. I, I, uh, I was in China. What was I in China for? Uh, a lot of things, but one of the things I was in China for was to meet with some pastors um, who two years ago said to me, we, we want to plant churches. And they heard about the ark. And um, a lot of you know, most of you know that the ark, the Association of Related Churches, is a church planting movement that started in this church and now is 
gone across America and is beginning to go around the world. In fact, in, in the ark, in the last 12 years, we've planted over 420 churches. In the next, like, four to five weeks, we're going to plant 43 churches here in the United States. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? And so, and so some new things are happening in China. There's been an underground revival in China that was almost entirely rural, almost entirely rural. It's been a great thing. But, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, China was 20, uh, 75% of the people lived in rural areas. And, and China in the new economy has decided that they need to industrialize and, and um, uh, have uh, major cities and relocate, relocate people there. And so they built new cities. And, and um, in fact, there's over 300 cities that are between 200,000 and 3 million that are new. And there are... Uh, two-thirds of them have no gospel expression. And what we believe is we believe that every community needs a life-giving church. Would you agree with that? Every community needs that. And so, and so they, they heard about that. They asked us to come over. We went over. Jason, our missions pastor here, uh, went first. And then I, I went last year. And they came over here. You met some of them. And then I'm, I'm back over. And, and what I'm doing is we're kind of solidifying that there's going to be an ark China. They have a vision to plant 10,000 churches in these major urban centers, reaching hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of people. That's their vision. It's huge. And we're, and we're getting the agreement and, and uh, kind of signing papers and stuff. And, and, and one of them says to me, says, uh, we're, we're going to plant 10 churches this year, he said. 10, we've got... Church planters here, we're going to vet them, and then we're going to plant 10. That's awesome. And uh, he said, now, he said, ARC USA is strong, and China ARC is not very strong yet. That's when I grabbed my wallet. I knew where that was going. This is, you know, let me hold on to this. You know, I know where this is going. And he said, he said, could you, could you help us? I said, sure, we're training and all that. We'll give you some help. He said, well, could you, like, finance half of what it's going to take to do that right now. And I, I explained that ARC, I'd already explained it several times, that one of the things that makes ARC strong is we have a financial model that's self-sustaining. It's self-sustaining. And we, they said, oh, yeah, we're going to do the self-sustaining thing, but we need some help getting off the ground. I said, well, how much help do you need? And they laid out a figure that was like one of these that go, <gasps> you know, it just takes your breath away a little bit. And they said, could you help us? With that, we'll do half, you do half. I'm like thinking, no. Um, we, we don't have margin like that at Seacoast. We don't have it at ARC. That's significant. Um, I'm not sure we can do that. And the spirit of the Lord dropped into my heart and said, tell him you'll match it. I'm going like, really, Lord? That means I'm going to be raising money for the next three years. It's basically what I'm going to be doing. Tell me to match it. So I said, okay, we'll match it. You do yours, we'll match it. You show us when you got it, we'll match it. They were like, yay. I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> Has any of you ever had a thought like that? You thought you were following God, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking I could disappoint an entire nation is what I could do. I could, you know, just, just and disappoint the largest nation on the planet, as a matter of fact. Okay, God, I'll do that. I'm running through. Who could I ask? What could I do? I have to be traveling around and raising money is what I'm going to have to do. And, and uh, 
24 hours later. Now, usually that's why I didn't want to tell this story because usually it's not that quick. But 24 hours later, a businessman from Singapore who's been watching this online. In fact, he's probably watching right now. Good to see you. But um, he, he, he flew over to China. I met him for the first time. And he says, um, so how's it going? And I said, well, it's going good. And he said, how about the church planting thing? And I said, well, I said, yeah, it's good. And uh, he said, what's going to, and I said, well, I agreed to this. And he said, do you have that money? I said, no, but God does. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like when we, it's kind of like when we do a, a building campaign here, you know, where we all join together and I'll say something like, good news, we've got all the money we need for the new building. Not as good a news, it's still in your wallet. And, and it's like, it's like God's got it. Somewhere I know he does. He said, well, do you, do you have it? And I said, no. He said, well, congratulations, I'm paying for it. And then he said, how big is your vision? I said, well, pretty big. He says, for all of, A- all of Asia. How about Europe? Europe, yes. You know, Middle East, definitely. He said, well, why don't you go home and why don't you kind of write out your vision and make a grant request and let's see if we can do this together. I'm like, wow. Wow. Now, am I going to have to raise some money? Yeah, definitely. But it's so much bigger than I can imagine. And here was my thought. Here was my thought. My thought was this. If God has you in the race, he will supply the need. Sometimes it happens in 24 hours, not often. Sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a year. Usually it's in ways that you never would have dreamed. Did I know that was coming? No. No. God is faithful. Get set in faith. Get set in faith. Here's the second thing. Shut out distractions. While you're waiting, shut out distractions. You can take yourself out of the race by allowing your mind to wander before the starter's gun fires. You know, the noise of the crowd. Talk to people who race and do it well and ask them, what, you know, how's the crowd? You know, if, if you're listening to the crowd, you sometimes don't hear the gun. But they said, when you get it right... You're so focused that you don't even hear the crowd. It's just kind of a roar in the background. And all you hear is your heartbeat. And you're looking at the gun. It's almost like it's slow motion. So you've got to be careful not not to listen to the noise of the crowd. But the bigger noise is the noise in your own head. When you're waiting, you say, you know what, I'll never be able to. Or I just can't wait any longer. Or this one. Why is God allowing this? God, where are you? Why are you silent during these times? God, why? You know, nobody had a harder time waiting and shutting out distractions than a biblical character named Job. Anybody ever read Job? One year I started out my Bible reading every day in Job. Mistake, you know. Job, Job's just this normal guy, pretty successful guy. Minding his own business, and all of a sudden, he loses his wealth, loses his job, loses his wife, his kids, his family. Then he loses his health. Everything's gone. And he begins to ask God, 
God, what's going on? The noise of the crowd almost took him out of the race. His friends nearly took him down. If you read the story of Job, he has three friends, and rather than helping, they add to his discouragement. Anybody else have friends like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's one of the reasons in the, in the bulletin today, you got a card that looks like this. Take a look at that. Next series, we're going to do I See a Church. We're really excited about this. We've been working hard on this one. Uh, during the heat of the summer, we're outdoors filming stuff. We've got small group Bible studies. Very excited about it. And uh, we're, we're asking everybody in the church just to be involved for six weeks. Six weeks as we talk about what kind of church does Seacoast want to be. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a fundraiser. It's just a let's rally together kind of time. And, uh, and we'd love everybody to be involved. And, and uh, we've got a lot of people that want to be involved. Now we need people who will say, you know, I'll, I'll, host, I'll host a small group. Some, some people are grabbing their own friends and going to do it together. And that's great. And some people, you need some new friends. We'll help you. We'll help you. But we'll, there'll be opportunity but we'll, later to respond to that. But Job's friends were the wrong kind of friends. You need the right kind of friends. And then his own his own thoughts nearly sidetracked him. For 37 chapters, he asked the why question. Why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this? Why am I in so much pain? Why haven't you answered my prayers yet? And those are natural questions, and some of us may be there right now. You know, God, why? Why? 37 chapters. And then in chapter 38, God says, Job, why don't you take a time out and let me ask you a few questions? Okay. What do you want to know, God? God says to Job, um, were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? No, God, I missed that one. I, I wasn't there for that. How about this one, Job? Let's try this one. Can you explain the law of gravity? See, Isaac Newton hadn't been there yet with the apple and all that stuff. Because he had no, no clue. He didn't know. I said, no, God, I can't explain that one either. Job finally figures out that God is God, and he's not. God's bigger than him, and he's trying to take the moral ground, high ground, over the God of the universe. And so he stops questioning, and he starts trusting, and his story turns around. In fact, in Job 42, it says, Job replied to the Lord, I, I know that you can do anything. And no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. I take back everything I said and I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. So, so what can we learn from Job? What do we do when we're in a waiting period that's really painful? We don't understand. We've got all these questions. Do what Job did. If you study the book, you, you know that he finally, he reminded himself of five things. He reminded himself that, first of all, God is loving. God is loving. God is all-powerful. God is in control. God has a plan for my life and God will protect me. See, God knows what you're going through. He's in tune with your pain. We've had some times in our lives that were, that were tough. Some of them were tragic. And I can remember having all those questions. What do we all do? 
Just get them out, but that's not what helps you. What helps you is when you remember who God is. And you say, God, I don't understand this at all. But the foundation is I know that all of your ways are loving. I'm going to trust that. I know that you're all powerful. I know that you're in control. I know that you have a plan for my life. And I know that ultimately I'm going to trust you to protect me and those I love ultimately. So stay focused on the right things. Wait in faith. And here's the third thing that you do is don't jump the gun. Don't jump the gun. You can get set in faith. You can shut out distractions and, or distractions and still be disqualified by jumping the gun, by having a false start. Anybody ever heard of Usain Bolt? Anybody ever heard of Usain Bolt? Three of us over here. Well, let me explain. Usain Bolt is currently the fastest man in the world. He's won Olympics, like three races, all the sprint races, and, and he's won the world championships and all of this. Now, in 2011... Up until that point, most important race he was in was the world championships. And everybody knew he's an overwhelming favorite. He's this guy that's, that's just a, like a bolt of lightning out of nowhere. And he's racing in the 100 meters for the world championship. And here's what happened. Take a look at this. Right alongside Usain Bolt. Such a tall man. Almost has to uncoil himself from the start position, but you heard Michael Johnson saying he's getting that start absolutely right. Set. Oh, my word, it's a false start. I think Usain Bolt's false started. No. I can't believe it. I think Usain Bolt almost unthinkably. I was talking about the... I was talking about the fact that he got his start absolutely right has he false started the reaction of Bolt suggests that that most emphatically is the case he knows it's him he took his top straight off he's looking to the heavens there oh, I can't believe it for the neutral of us here now this is an open race because with him out of the picture is it Bolt let's see yes clearly he goes we have seen so many false starts in this championships already and it's only day two well I can hardly believe what I'm seeing so what can you learn from that don't pull your shirt off when you uh, false start, but unless you look like him. But even when you're the best in the world, if you don't wait on the starter, see, see, you don't control when the race starts. The starter controls when the race starts. If you don't wait on the starter, you can be disqualified from the race. You can be disqualified from the race. I got an email recently from somebody who, who has a history of jumping the gun. Somebody I care a lot about. He wanted me to pray. It's in a waiting season. Now, this guy doesn't wait well, to be honest with you. He doesn't wait well. He's waiting on a big deal. I, mean, I think it's an adoption. Pray, wait. Some things are held up. And as I began to pray for him, I thought, you know, it's one of our church planters and we've got this rigorous process um, that we go through to plant churches. We did, you know, if somebody says, I feel called of God to plant a church, we're excited about that and we want to celebrate that, but we go through a process to do our best to help them be successful and got to go through several steps and we determine we assessments and training and all of this. And this guy jumped the gun on all of it. Every time he'd short-circuit the process and 
and uh, he moved before we thought he was ready to the new city. He started his church before we thought it was wise. And really, as a result, he recently closed the doors on the church. He doesn't have a job. Family's a little devastated. Um, people who had trusted him are kind of wondering what's, what's going on. Now he wants me to pray on this new thing. And I'm willing to pray because I believe in God of a second chance, but I'm questioning his decision-making process. Who's he listening to? I mean, he's not listening to me. I told him every time, wait, wait, wait. Wouldn't wait. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22, plans fail for a lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. In other words, if you think, this is what God wants me to do, or this is the direction I want to go, get some advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel. Sometimes you feel like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. Jump the gun. And, uh, and I thought, is this even a race he ought to be in? Is he jumping the gun again? I know God has good plans for him, but he's short-circuiting them. So let's talk about you. Have you ever known that God wanted something for you, but you just couldn't wait? You jumped the gun. Now you're paying the price. You know, it could be relationally, it could be sexually, it could be financially, it could be any of a number of areas. And, 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 and you know, get ready, get set, but you don't, you don't control when the race starts. And you jump the gun. So what do you do? What do you do? I've got good news for you. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. And one of the things it's saying in your race is, you know, if you just conceal the fact that you've blown it, and you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep jumping the gun and blaming other people and blaming circumstances and all of this. Listen, you're going to pay the price. But if you'll confess your sin, repent of it, you will receive mercy. New Testament says it like this. If, we're faithful and, or if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Even when we're not faithful, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness, the evidence of that. And so, and so I challenge you, you know, listen to the starter. And if you've blown it, are, are you disqualified forever? Well, I don't think so. Let me, let, let, let's go back to Abraham, the story of Abraham. Remember that, Romans, Abraham, man of faith, he believed, even when there was no evidence, and against hope, in hope, he believed. Well, there's a part that they left out. Abraham jumped the gun. 10, 15 years into this thing, he said, it's not happening. Sarah was concerned. She was the one in this particular case that was jumping the gun, and, but he went along with it. And she offered him her best friend, her handmaiden. And Abraham slept with her, and there was a child, Ishmael, that was born out of that. And he thought he was making God's dream happen. And Actually, he jumped the gun, and it brought tension into the home, and ultimately it brought heartache and 
and he had to send Ishmael away. And because of that decision, we still have issues today in the world. But you know what? That's not what Romans wrote about. In fact, in fact, they left that out. It was part of the story, but God gave Abraham a second chance, and that's the one he's remembered for. Not the first one, but he's remembered for the second one. I like that. Gives me hope. Usain Bolt. If you look him up on Wikipedia, because that's the source of all truth, <laughs> you'll, you'll see that it says, I, I did this. It says, world champion, fastest man, Olympic champion, Olympic champion, Olympic champion again. And then way down, buried in the middle of the story is this story that I showed you of a false start. See, your false start, if you've had one, can be buried in God's story for you. I love Romans when it says all things work together for good, even my stupid choices. If I repent of them and say, God, I'm sorry, help me. Help me to wait. Help me to wait on the starter. Then God will turn it around for your good. So let's repent and wait in hope. God has a new race for you. He's got a, he's got a new lane for you. It's never too late. Romans 33 verse 20 says, Let's read this one out loud. This last verse on the outline sheet, last thing I'm going to say. We wait in hope. A lot of times we move our lips too uh, when we read together. Those of you in the campuses and here, let's read it together. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. Yes, God, that's our prayer. God, I pray that your unfailing love would settle in us as we put our hope in you. God, for some of us, it's a difficult message to listen to because we're, we're, we're sitting here thinking, man, I started too soon. I jumped the gun and and I'm paying some tax for it. And God, I just pray that hope would come. That God, that you're the God of the second chance. That it's the second chance or the third chance or the fifth chance that we'll be remembered for. God, for some of us, we're in anxiety right now, hoping and waiting. And God, for others, we know somebody that's there. And we just pray for them right now. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in the next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.